This is a podcast from Delancey Eden Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in the Delancey Eden Church building at Le Banks St. Samson in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. I've got some good news for you this morning. Okay, good news. We like good news, don't we? Yes? Good. I like good news as well. Um, I found out that being generous is better for our health. Isn't that great? Okay, so if we weren't convinced enough by the Bible, okay, that, you know, being a cheerful giver and being generous is good, actually, it's better for our health. And we all want to be healthy. So I'm thinking, if we're generous... It'll be good for our health. If you don't believe me, I've got a little bit of evidence that I've gathered for you. Okay, so the first one is apparently studies at Harvard University showed that when students watched a film about Mother Teresa tending to orphans, the number of productive antibodies on their saliva rocketed. Okay, isn't that great? Okay, and when the students were asked to focus on times when they'd been loved or focus on a time when they had shown love or been loving towards others, their antibody levels stayed elevated for a whole hour. So that's quite good, if you're still not convinced, okay. Um, A study conducted at Carnegie Mellon University, um, people were... It was found that people who socially connected in some way with others through volunteering um, caught fewer colds. Good. Don't want to catch a cold, maybe. And in 2005, in the Ohio State University, there was a study. Now, I don't, this is, sounds really, really bizarre, okay? But there's a study on married couples. And um, they gave, on two separate occasions, they gave married couples some blisters. No, I don't know. I don't know why you'd volunteer for that. They must have got paid a lot. Um, And during the first visit, the couple would be together and they would talk to one another and offer support to one another. And then in the second visit, on the second occasion when they were given these visitors, they had to talk about conflicts in their relationship. Okay, so they might have been there a while. And they had to talk about that. And apparently the blisters took a day longer to heal after the second visit when they had spoken about their conflict. And two days longer in couples with very high levels of anger. Alright, so I'm thinking from those little studies, actually being supportive and encouraging and kind and generous is actually very good for our health. So not only does Jesus say it, but it's also good. You know, in my childhood, there were a couple of things that I was always taught. Well, there was more than a couple, but there's two things that stuck with me with regards to being generous when I was little and growing up. Now, you might um, be familiar with these. There was FHB. Anyone know what FHB means? Family hold back. Okay, basically, if we had visitors or guests around for dinner or anything, we had to hold back, yeah? And every, or the visitors and the guests had to have the first pickings of what was there, and you just had to have the leftovers, like, so if there wasn't enough cake, you couldn't have cake, or, you know, if you really liked those roast potatoes, you have to let the visitors have those first. So there's that rule, family hold back, okay, so we knew our place. And there was another rule, and it was don't look a gift horse in the mouth. 
Okay? So when we're receiving perhaps a strange gift, a gift that we weren't quite elated with, it was to be thankful and grateful. Yes? I don't really know what that phrase meant, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, but I think, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but looking it up, it's based on the fact that a horse's value is determined by its age, which in turn can be estimated by the state of its teeth. Is that right? So if you look at a gift horse in the mouth, obviously you can tell it's the state of its teeth, which will determine its age, which will determine its value. So when you get a gift, you should appreciate the thought behind it, the spirit of the giver, never mind what it is or what the value. And I think we've probably all had those occasions when we've opened up a gift and we've thought, hmm, not sure about that one, car boot sale. But that was what we were taught, yeah? Family hold back. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Be appreciative. Value what people give you, even if it may not be exactly what you want. And that's helped me in my life to, to shape my values with regarding to giving, perhaps. And um, today I want to speak about this idea of generosity. Maybe not that we need more givers in, in, the, in the sense of giving of stuff all the time, but maybe the spirit of generosity as a society, perhaps sometimes the spirit of the generous heart is lacking and I know um, I'm preaching to the converted with the idea of being generous so many of you have witnessed it myself are generous and I would like to say in my own life I'm I'm a pretty generous person I think but you know sometimes I know this stuff in my life I know I'm challenged when I sing that song I surrender all every time every time I'm challenged by it because I stand there and think "Mm, if God pressed that button I'm not sure If God asked me to do that, I'm not sure. And sometimes I know in my own life there's those areas where actually I want to hold on. I don't want to let go. And I want to hold tightly to the things that I have, not just material things, but all sorts of things. So I want to look at this spirit of generosity. Two people are out for coffee and they're at the till ready to pay for their coffee. One person's not even looking for the money to pay, But um, if they are, they're doing it very slowly. Probably by the time they found it, the currency would have changed. Do you know those type of people? (laughs) The other person is there, volunteers to pay. No, I want to pay. I'll pay for it. I want to pay. Who has the spirit of generosity? What concerns a person most? Is it whether they've been asked to go to someone's house for a meal? Or does what concern them the most is when was the last time they allowed someone into their house for a meal? Answer the question. I guess we know whether that person has a spirit of generosity. Driving down the road. There's a long line of traffic. Okay? And up ahead, you can see in the side lane that someone is trying to get out in this long row of traffic. What do you do? Do you drive as close to the bumper in front of you so that even fresh air can't get in, let alone another car? And I know, I can say, that I have confessed that I've done that on occasions to you before in my sermons. So I'm not going to elaborate on that anymore. But um, I've been there and done that and just, yeah, yeah, I can't see you. I'm going to carry on going. But we have a choice to make, don't we? Do we wind down the window, let them through? God bless you, my brother in the Lord. Have a wonderful day. You can go. Well, the decision we make depends, I guess, on the level of generosity that's developing in our lives. I want to add that my generosity is developing since that time. I have repented of being mean on the road. Anyway, 
levels of generosity, the spirit of generosity. I want to ask three questions today. Three questions that maybe will lead us further to develop that spirit. Because the spirit of generosity is attractive, isn't it? And we have a message that we want to share with folk. And we want that message to be attractive. Question number one, what can be untied? What do I mean by that? Two men, okay, believe that God has spoken really clearly to them, okay, about their ministry and um, the needs of their ministry and what's involved um, in their ministry. And the need is, is that they get a new car. And God has spoken to them and said, I want you to get a new car. But I don't want you to just get any car. I want you to get a brand new, top of the range sports car for your ministry. Okay, so they've heard from God. And um, they decide that they're going to go to the next neighbourhood okay, to get this car because the next neighbourhood is far more upmarket and they'll get a better deal there. So they're going to go to the next neighbourhood. God tells them, you need a car, you're going to have a top-of-the-range sports car. story becomes even more unbelievable because they believe that seeing that they don't even have enough money to buy a bike, that actually they're just going to get this top-of-the-range sports car for free. Okay? It's not going to cost them anything. In fact, they have a plan. Okay? And the plan is really simple. The plan is this, that when they see the car, it's theirs. Okay? As soon as they lay their eyes on the car. And sure enough, as they approach the neighbourhood, they see it there. It's shiny. It's new. It's exactly what they want. It's perfect. And it's theirs. All they need to do is hotwire it, because they don't have the keys, and they can go. So they get into the car plush leather seats, they're looking really smooth, it's all really good. And at that moment, the owner of the car comes out and shouts out, hey, what are you doing? What are you, know, what are you doing in my car? And the guys go, oh, no, no, it's okay, don't worry about it, don't worry, God has told us that we need this car for our ministry. This is the car we need. And so the owner replies, okay, fine, take it. Take the car, take care, off you go. Is this a true story? Well kind of is. Let's look in our Bibles a moment to Luke chapter 19, if you've got your Bible. This story is not exactly found in the Bible, like I've just said, but it is in a kind of fashion, and it's in Luke 19, verses 29 to 34, and some of you might already know what I'm going to say. As he approached... Bethage and Bethany, as Jesus approached at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, his owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. Now, I've kind of never read the story with that much concern before. But when I thought about it in that modern day scenario, I thought that's quite a big thing that that guy did. He's got his donkey there. It's never been ridden before. It's the top of the range donkey just like the top of the range sports car. And these men come up and say, oh yeah, I'm just untying it, it's alright, Jesus needs it, oh okay, fine. Now if someone came up to me and sat in my little run-down, clapped-out Vauxhall Corsa and said, oh it's okay, God's told me I need it, 
And that's a Vauxhall Corsa. I wouldn't even let them go. Do you know what I mean? And that's not a top-of-the-range sports car or a top-of-the-range donkey. I'd say, get out. God hasn't told me that. But this guy in the story has got this donkey. No one's ever ridden it before. And he just allows it to be given to the work of the Lord. The point is that he's willing to untie this new donkey for Jesus. He's willing to let it go. He had a spirit of generosity. Why? Why did he do that? Maybe he'd met Jesus before. Maybe Jesus had transformed his life and he was thankful. Maybe he'd promised Jesus everything. Maybe he wanted to be used of God. Maybe that very day he'd said he'd prayed, God, use me, give me an opportunity to be used by you, and this was it. We don't know. But whatever it was, this man had something precious, something that was important to him, and it was his donkey. It was tied up outside his home, but he was willing to let go of it. It's hard for us to think in terms of donkeys, but you can think of things that we've got that are precious. What can be untied from you, from me? What will we never give up? What are the things in our life that are so precious that they're tied and we might feel that we can't let them go? What have we committed to not letting go of? Are there things in our life that actually... If Jesus said, I want that, would we let it go? Would we untie it? Don't just hate it when you're little. And your parents come to you and say, I want you to get rid of some of your toys. Isn't that just like the worst thing ever when you're a child? You know, your bedroom's full of toys. Your parents come and say, you've got too many toys. And you're thinking, yeah, but you've given them to me. Like, you know, it's not my fault I've got so many toys. They want you to clear out, you know, get rid, put lots of things into the car boot cell for people who don't have things. And, and as a kid, it's a bit like, well, I'm not going to go into your living room and say, get rid of your ornaments or, you know, clear out your stuff, mum. But they do it to us. And that used to always annoy me a little bit as a child. So one day, when my mum said that to me, and she said, you've got to give some stuff to the boot cell, so I put some stuff in a bag. I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I put some stuff in a bag. We gave it to the boot cell. I went to that boot cell and I brought it all back. And I thought, well, you know, I did what I was told, gave it away, and I'm going to purchase it back. So I wanted my lots of leg caterpillar back. I wanted my all the duck puppet. I can remember the different things. And I brought them all back. I didn't want to let go. They were precious to me. I didn't want to give them up. Okay, there's just a few little things. But you know what? In our life sometimes, there's things that we struggle to give up. Maybe it's people. I mean in the sense of perhaps when we think about things like forgiveness, perhaps God just is saying to us, you know what? I just want you to lose the battle there. I just want you to give that up. I want to give that bitterness. I want you to give that up. It's a spirit of generosity. Maybe it is something like our home. I don't mean moving out of our home and giving it to someone else, but allowing our homes to be used. I remember when I was younger, we ended up with this guy living in our house for a month. Okay? This guy had nowhere to live. And my parents decided it'd be a good idea to bring him in and let him live with us. So we didn't have any spare room, so he, he set up the front room as a, as a place to live for a month. I just remember getting the roller bed out each... I don't remember much detail. My dad found him a job. 
Um, it was safer back then, I think. <laughs> um, I hope. <laughs> but he was in our house for months. And, you know, my mum and dad, I really, really value them. Um, and I really value the fact that they always had this hospitality mentality. Oh, that sounded nice, didn't it? Um, we always had people in and out of the house all the time. All the time I remember people staying with us, having a, people didn't have a place to live, they came in and all that. And that's brilliant. I really, really respect and admire them for that because they just said, look, our home is not our own. It can be used for God. I don't think I've necessarily inherited that gene because I'm quite protective of my home, <laughs> quite private. Um, but they had that and that was brilliant. And so maybe sometimes, you know, we hold on to things and we make them precious and maybe God just says, I want you to... I want a spirit of generosity to flow from you. I want you to let that go, to maybe untie it. Maybe it's, maybe it's your car. I remember when I was working as a youth worker in, in the UK, sometimes, honestly, working with young people, we have a young person there, just one, I'll look at you. <laughs> working with young people can be tiring at times. Um, when you've done a whole night's youth group and it's 10 o'clock and you're still packing up at half 10 and then one of the young people says, yeah, I need a lift home and it's going to take another hour to get them home and you're like, oh, God, really? But you know what? <laughs> so often I used to feel like that. It was bad. But I did sometimes feel like that. But, you know... God spoke to me about that, about, about using my car and just allowing people to, you know, have lifts and do that. And some of you do that. And it's a spirit of generosity, isn't it? And it seems insignificant, but when I was studying, um, and I might have shared this story with you, forgive me if I have, but there was a lady, because I couldn't get to church, the church that I was like in the middle of nowhere at college, like the buses were ridiculous, and I couldn't get to church very easily, um, not on a Sunday morning, definitely not. I could probably get there in the evening, but it would take three different bus journeys. And so this woman in the church just decided that she'd pick me up every Sunday, just for three years of university. And not only did she pick me up, but she fed me, which was brilliant as a student, and then she took me home in the evening. And she didn't have to do that. She just said that's what she was going to do. And so for three years, she, she picked me up and, and she took me to church. And that seemed insignificant for her, but it was so, so significant for me. And if she hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have, stay, I wouldn't have gone to the church. I would have just found a different church, probably. But I wouldn't have gone to that church. I wouldn't have become the youth worker at that church. I probably wouldn't have got ordained, and I probably wouldn't have become a teacher. All because one woman said, I'm going to give up my car for this student. It's amazing, isn't it? How these little things, spirit of generosity, can have such an impact, such a ripple effect. And you don't know what those little things that you do and give up in your life can have an effect and change things. Amazing. Maybe, maybe we find it hard to give up our children in the terms of like, you know, God has a plan for their life and it might not be exactly what you would want for your children. Are we willing to say, okay, God, I'll, I'll let you have them? Maybe it's our savings account, you know, that we've spent all our life working for. And if God were to press that button and say, give it all, be like, oh, <laughs> I don't want to. I remember um, when, I, again, when I was working back in the UK, I had an office and... You know, and church office is a bit of a dumping ground sometimes. And often I would go into the office and I would find lots of different things there, like youth stuff or people had just put old car boot stuff in. And I was like, hang on a minute, this is not what it's for. Or you had a note saying, phone this person. There's never anything really nice left for me in the office. Until one day I went in and in an envelope on the desk there was £7,000. 
I thought, well, this is good. This is a good day. Is this my new shoe fund? I'm not sure if someone was blessing me. But no, it was for the building fund. But um, this old woman in our church, this old lady had just been challenged to get rid of her savings and give it to the church. £7,000. I just thank the Lord that he hadn't told me to do that. Not that I've got many savings, but he had told that lady to do it and she was obedient. She untied it and let it go. It was a spirit of generosity. Amazing. But what is tied to our posts? I'm not saying we have to give, give more. I'm just saying, is that spirit of generosity within us? Does it need to be released? Are there things in our life that we could perhaps untie, that we could give, things that we know we need to surrender? Second question. What have you made ready? A man has a very large family home. He's got many, many rooms within it. And he hires some of those rooms out. out. He rents them out so he can make some money. Some of the rooms are for his family. There's one special room. It's his favourite room. He loves this room. It's really spacious. It's on the second storey. It's open plan. And everybody who comes to stay at the house would love to hire that particular room. It's more expensive, but it's brilliant. It's beautiful. It's a lovely room. But on one occasion, this room, which is big enough for a banquet, it's a big room, um, one occasion he hears from God. And he believes that God says to him, I want you to use that room for me. I want you to save that room for me. And it's a bit of a struggle because he makes a lot of income from that room. It's the best one. It's his favourite. But after a while he says, yes, okay, God, uh, I'll do that. And so from that moment on, the room stands completely empty. He doesn't rent it out, but he cleans it out. He gets it ready. He doesn't know what he's getting it ready for. He's waiting for something to happen. He thinks, well, if God wants it, then God will use it. God will come in his timing. Is it a true story? Yeah, this is a true story. Let's look at Mark chapter 14 for a moment. Verses 13 to 17. This is exactly what happens in the Bible. Mark 14, verses 13 to 17. So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. I love these little characters in the Bible that aren't massive characters. They're just asides, but they're so important to the story. This man with his house, having had the room ready for something, and he gives it to God. We don't know much about this man. It's not much is told, but he had a space prepared for Jesus. He'd swept and cleaned the room out. He'd furnished it and he'd got it ready. This man had a spirit of generosity that he was willing to have this space made for Jesus and his mates. Do we have space for God in our lives? Is there anything, any place in our life that God is not coming in on? Is there any aspect, any area... In this idea of generosity, are we generous to God? 
Do we give God space? Do we allow God to come in in every area of our lives? Are we clean? Have we taken out the rubbish? Are we ready for God to visit us? Do we have a place prepared? I'm so thankful that we have communion so often because so often I have to clean my life out and just make space again and time again and for God again and to say, actually, God, you're in my life, but there's this one area. There's this one area that really I know it's not committed to you. It's this one area I want you to come in on. What is the equivalent of our second story room? Is there space in our lives for God? The spirit of generosity is where we're ready. We're prepared. We have space for him. We've swept out our own thoughts, our own ambitions, and we surrendered to him. We're his. Where we're ready for God to come in, in perhaps an unusual way. And I'm not meaning really in the sense, are we ready for God to give us more visions and more prophecy and more power on a Sunday morning? But are we ready for God to come and visit us in different ways, through the poor, through the homeless, through the addict, through the atheist, through the opportunity of an offering day, whatever it is, where we can display our spirit of generosity. Not more about God necessarily coming in and impacting us inwardly, but God impacting our life, having space for God to allow us to go and do things, to minister, to be, have a spirit of generosity in our lives, to reach out. Where have you made ready for God to come? Finally, my last question is this. What can be reused? Let's have a little look at Luke chapter 5. I've jumped around a bit here, but it's another story I want us to look at. And what's happening here is Jesus is with the crowds again, speaking and teaching to the crowd. And they're around him, they're listening to the word of God, and, and he sees at the water's edge two boats. They're left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Jesus gets into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put him out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answers, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. So the problem here was that the work of Jesus had grown so much that this large crowd are pushing in towards him. And he wants to speak to them, he wants to be clear, but he has no platform. He can't be elevated up to speak to them. So he has to, or he has the idea of getting into the boat and moving out a little offshore so he can then project his voice and speak to them. He gets into Simon's boat, Simon's failed fishing boat, and he uses it for this successful pulpit to speak to people and change people's lives. Simon had the spirit of generosity. He allowed Jesus to use that boat. That boat, which signified right now at this moment in time a failure in his life because he'd been out that night and he said, actually, you know what, I'm a fisherman and yet I caught nothing through the night. I failed in this area where I should excel, I failed. 
but God, Jesus, you use it. And Jesus does. And he turns it around to make a success to change people's lives. Many of us have things in our life that we fail at. And I wonder what's failed in your life or what the disappointments are or where the disappointments are. It's not that you didn't try, but maybe for some reason the prayer that we prayed wasn't answered in the way that we wanted it to be answered. You know, I've heard a lot, as just being in leadership of church, a lot of people said before, you know, well, I don't do that anymore. Or I don't get involved. The best days are over. I, I don't really believe I'm useful anymore. And I hear that. And it's not their fault, but they failed or they've had a disappointment, they've been hurt, they risked and it, it didn't go well, and so they take a step back. And the problem with that is that it shuts down their spirit of generosity because they think, you know what, I'm just going to sit back, I'm not going to do anything. And they can no longer say yes. They, they stay locked up, they stay constricted and tightened by this disappointment, this failure, their tried attempt that failed. But Jesus, he wants to get into our boats of failures, our boats of the past promise, whatever it is, and reuse them and do something else with them. And really the question is, is will we be like Simon? Will we be like Simon and open our hands and say, you know what, God... I'm willing to give you all I have. I'm even willing to give you the things that I failed in and the things that have been a disappointment in my life. I'm going to give them to you. Can you reuse them? I'm here. I'm giving it all. To allow that spirit of generosity to just seep out of us so there's nothing holding us back. There's no constriction. There's no restraint. Three questions today. What can be untied? What is so precious in our life? What can be given to God? What have you made ready? Is there a place in your life where God has not come in? And if so, what are we going to do about that? Are we cleaned out? Is there room? Is there space to allow God in? In every area, not just the ones that are safe. And what can be reused? Let us not dare allow our failures and our disappointments to dictate our lives we do that a lot I do it in my life but let's not let them block the spirit of generosity maybe we do need to take a risk the spirit of generosity let's just pray before I invite the worship group back up Father God I thank you for your word to us today and Lord I thank you that you hold nothing back from us that you are willing to give it all and you've demonstrated your perfect love by doing that. And Lord, where would we be without your generosity in our lives? But Lord God, today we just come again and and we just stand and and say, Lord, are there areas of our life that we need to just give over to you again? Are there areas where you are not reigning And we need to just say, God, help me to give that over to you. Are there things that have become so precious that we feel we won't let go? What can we untie? What can we give to you? How can we be generous and demonstrate that spirit of generosity? Well, we want to make room for you. We want to take hold of the opportunities to minister your grace and love and generosity to people. 
Let us have our eyes open to see those things. God, we want to say we surrender all. Help us to do that. And help us not to let our failures or our disappointments dictate to us how we live and how we respond to things. Let us allow you to reuse those things and do great things with them. God, we we give our life to you again today. We surrender those things again today. Lord, in my own life, God, I want to make space for you again in every area, in every aspect. Give us a fresh wave of your spirit of generosity in our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Delancey Edom Church. For more podcasts, information, or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.